Yes, 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 you're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio, the freshest rap of news and current affairs on your radio. I'm Swatha Das and with me in the studio is our EP, Natalie Sekulovska. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you going, Swatha? I am good. I'm pumped up because I just played Fat Man Scoop's Be Faithful, <laughs> the new anthem of the Liberal Party. Yeah, what a tune. It's, it's such great. a tune. <laughs> it's such a tune. Now, oh, uh, I guess this has been in the news lately. Yeah, yeah. It's It's been pretty crazy. So this week, Scott Morrison posted a video of MPs in Question Time raising their hands to the beat of Fat Man Scoop's classic kick. He So he later took it down and tweeted an apology after he realised what the rest of the lyrics were. They're Rookie error. Don't, don't apologise for <laughs> loving a banger. Now, in light of this fantastic news cycle, because it has lightened up my week, I want to know, I want our listeners to let us know, have you ever posted something online that was misinterpreted? That's a hard one. Also, like, misinterpret. Could you misinterpret what Scott Morrison was posting? <laughs> it was very much... I think he misinterpreted it there. Uh, yeah. Maybe yeah. he's not that involved in his social media. No. You don't think he's tweeting himself? I don't think so. I think someone might have lost their job over this. <gasps> oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, text in. Let us know if you've ever gotten someone fired online. <laughs> Jeez. Tell us all the details. Text in 0409 to show us all what a beep lying, beep backstabbing, beep treacherous, beep beep she is. Thanks, Colin. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. Yes, that's right. We've got a great show on Backchat today. So first up, we'll be speaking to Madeline Ward, a women's collective officer at the University of Sydney, who'll be chatting to us about having a public feud with a Labor MP who tried to get her suspended. We'll also be chatting to Ospol later on the show. Let's talk <laughs> chat to Ospol. <laughs> with Ashley Streeter-Jones, uh, where she'll be speaking uh, to us about the lack of youth and female engagement in Parliament. That's right. Lots of exciting stuff on the show today, so definitely stay tuned. Now, we are asking people, have you ever posted something online that has been misinterpreted? Now, we already have a text in from Harry, and he's... I'm scared to read this out. So, he <laughs> says, I was messaging my cousin over Facebook about her newborn baby... And I had another conversation window opened with my brother. (laughs) I meant to send to my brother, wow, I'm so sorry, but this baby's actually so ugly. But but they sent us to the wrong chat. (laughs) My cousin was so angry. I don't know. That's terrible. That's that's not great. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we 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 want to know. Yeah, we want more of your stories here. Um, Let us know if you've ever posted something online that was misinterpreted. You can text in on 0409 945 945. The, the Australian taxpayer even pays for the toilet paper she uses. Does she go down to the chemist to buy the tampons? Or is the Australian taxpayer paying for those as well? Fact chat, your alternative to talk back. Now in the studio today, we have Madeline Ward, Women's Collective Officer from Sin University, who was almost suspended for vandalism. No. Uh, for plagiarism? No. Th- then why were you almost suspended? 
uh, I was almost suspended because I organized a protest against an anti-abortion group. Oh, oh. my God. <laughs> oh, I got that. Wrong. That, yeah. that uh, makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so maybe maybe give us a rundown of what happened. Yeah, cool. So uh, during O Week, there's a group called Life Choice, and they're like a student-based pro-life organization. Uh, and it's a bit of like a yearly ritual that the Women's Collective will go and protest them, because obviously we disagree with their political views. Um, and then after the protest, I guess, happened, a complaint was made about me to the University of Sydney by Life Choice. And then uh, after that, they told a far-right Labor MP, Greg Donnelly, about it. And he raised the complaint in Parliament and then raised that he'd been lobbying both the university through Michael Spence and then also the university Senate. That's... Okay. I have many questions. <laughs> a lot of red flags. But okay, first of all, I just want to know, why was the university so mad? Um, so it was put through the university's misconduct system, which basically is like a complaint system for students, um, generally intended for issues of like harassment and bullying, but also like for plagiarism. Um, the university, I guess, was so mad because it was like a protest on campus. Mm. Um, and I secretly think that it's probably good for them that they're able to crack down on like women's offices through this system um, okay. because it hurts their public image every time we have a protest. That's interesting that you say that it hurts their public image yeah. having a protest on campus because protests have been happening on campuses for a very long time. So why is this any different? Um, I think it's like the kind of like a turn toward like the conservatism um, with universities, uh, particularly after voluntary student unionism came through a few years ago. Um, the student public's been like a little bit less engaged, which obviously benefits the universities, um, particularly with protests around sexual assault and harassment. Um, that in particular tends to get a lot of media attention, which in turn makes them look pretty bad. So, okay, when I heard this story, I'm, I feel like the reaction we're having is something that you've been seeing throughout. I feel like majority of at least women and young people would be supporting you. But what really ticks me off about this story is they came after, like, the punishment you would have gotten was suspension or expulsion. Yeah. So they're coming after your degree. They're coming after your education. Yeah. Like, how, how do you feel about people coming after your education as a way to punish you? Um, obviously pretty pretty furious yeah. um, I think I I mean obviously I think the system is incredibly heavy handed uh, the way that the misconduct system even before Greg Donnelly got involved was rigged so it's confidential you can't talk about it I've been terrified talking about it for the past five months Yeah, but obviously things will leak to an MP um, even beyond that there were really dodgy things happening in the investigation where like blatantly untrue allegations were popping up in my reports before they'd even investigated them and I was getting called at like 5pm on a Saturday on my way to my other job um, asking me to come in for a 9am meeting on the Monday with lawyers for this investigation, which is clearly not best practice No, and is in fact like going against the own code. So, I mean, the whole thing has been pretty cooked from start to finish. So, I mean, the university being involved is one thing, but an MP being involved is a completely different matter. So, I mean, how do you feel about MPs being involved in university matters? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty scary. I A Labour MP as well. A Labour MP as well. Please also unpack that. <laughs> well, so Greg Donnelly is from the right of the party. So he's a former SDA. Um, I can't remember his exact position, but within the SDA, which is like a right-wing union. Um, also from the ACL, which is the Australian Christian Lobby. Um, uh, okay. I was like pretty upset. I think it happened while Safe Access Zones was getting passed. And I was actually volunteering at an abortion clinic, escorting people into the clinic yeah. past the same people 
people who were complaining against me for harassment to the university. Um, and I th- just find it, like, so inappropriate that Greg Donnelly intervened. Not that I think that he's incredibly important, like, even the Labour Party seems to think he's a bit of an idiot, but for him to use his parliamentary privilege to break confidentiality in a university case where I had no way of defending myself was just really scary for me. Like, I think... Um, I am, like, so committed to reproductive rights activism and I'll, like, continue to do so, but I absent failed a whole semester. Like, that's how bad my mental health got. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm at Sydney University. I firsthand see the amazing work you do. And this was a big shock to me because I just think it's really hard to get people to be on the streets fighting for a cause. And then you have, like, dedicated women such as yourself doing it and then people are trying to silence you. So I feel like this whole thing is is a is a good example of the nuance around free speech and how people will like to say that they support free speech, especially on the right, but they actually won't practice what they preach. What do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree. During the whole Safe Access Zone debate, free speech was a huge thing. Um, there's even a Religious Freedoms Act getting put through Parliament at the moment from Fred Nile about freedom of speech. And yet, when I was exercising my free speech through a peaceful protest, like, one of the things that I actually was, com- like, that I got put under the complaint system for was that there was a photo on my personal Facebook where I had my bra out that just said, can I swear on this show? Uh, this is, here's a swearing. It just said the F word, <laughs> life choices. Oh, okay. um, yeah. And then that popped up in the thing as well, which was like on my personal Facebook page. So it wasn't even targeting anyone from no. life choice, yeah, which I is like the it. ultimate thing of free speech, because that was like a huge part of the investigation. Um, and yet there's conservatives like hissing at me from across the road at an abortion clinic that I'm somehow inhibiting their free speech. And I think that like the nuances of free speech are incredibly complex. And this kind of just goes to show that the right don't actually care about freedom of speech. They just care about airing their bigotry. Absolutely. Well, it's really interesting because a survey came out this week that found that almost three quarters of people in New South Wales think that abortion should be decriminalised and regulated as a healthcare service. So it actually seems that you're in the majority here. Yeah, I 100% am. I mean, the state of abortion politics in New South Wales is particularly complicated because a lot of people don't actually realise that it's currently still in the Crimes Act because it's a law that's from, like, 1888, I think is the day. I can't remember. But it's a really old law. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, like, the amount of support that we've had was huge, but the vitriol of the right is so loud and so intense that it can sometimes feel like you are in the minority. Yeah, definitely. Um, So you wrote a letter to Labor MP uh, Greg Donnelly, and in it you said that the University of Sydney's student code of conduct is outdated. What is, like, how can we improve it? What do you want to see? Yeah, um, so, I mean, I think the most important thing is that there needs to be room for nuance in the code of conduct. We've just introduced a standalone sexual assault policy, which is really important, and now that we have that, I don't think we need the way that the current code of conduct which is structured, which essentially just puts the onus on the person that's accused to prove themselves innocent, which is obviously incredibly cooked. That's so... I um, <laughs> We love the work you're doing. We hope that this hasn't silenced you because... We need more activism, and this was a very scary time, so we think that you're very cool for getting through that. <laughs> Thank you. still speaking to us. Um, yeah, so that was Madeline Ward, a women's officer at the University of Sydney, discussing her involvement in a counter-protest against a Sydney University anti-abortion group. Stay tuned, though, because we've got another interview coming up with Ashley Streeter-Jones to chat to us about the lack of female engagement when it comes to Ozpol. Yes, and we are obsessed with this fat man scoop game. 
gaffe by Scott Morrison, I'm not going to stop talking about it, where he posted a video of MPs in question time, raising their hands to the beat of the classic hit, Be Faithful, otherwise known as Who Effing Tonight? This is, that's actually not the lyric, but you know. Um, we want to know, have you ever posted something online that was misinterpreted? We know what Madeline's answer is. Uh, that we, yeah, six months of interpretation. Uh, we want to know all the details. Text in 0409. 945-945. But now we're going to leave you with, with this yeah, song. Yeah, so we've got um, this song by Macedonian el- electro-pop group Bastion called Molitva. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 and you're with Swetha Das and Natalie Sekulovska. You just heard Molitva by Bastion. Swetha, we got some text. Yes, we got some text. So... Someone texted in. This is a good one. They said, A couple of weeks ago, my friend's dog died. She was very upset about it and was posting photos on Facebook. I thought I had sad reacted to her post, but it turns out I had haha reacted to it. <laughs> so we are, for some context, I realize I just read the text. The context is after Scott Morrison's Fat Man's Group gaffe, he posted up a tweet with that song, Be Faithful, um, and people thought it was hilarious and they thought they were in a different dimension. Um, but really, it was just. Uh, an error from a social media team. We're asking people to tell us about a time that they've posted something online that's been misinterpreted. Someone else texted in. They said, I wanted, um, I posted on a forum that I was angry about someone spoiling the plot of an 11-year-old's YouTube videos. <laughs> that's quite <laughs> funny. And it was quite over the top. Everyone thought, thought as a joke, which was a good thing because... If they thought it was too serious, I would have been banned. Okay. I don't really understand that one. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, thank you. Someone else has texted in. Uh, they said, I once posted the name of a crush I was searching on Facebook oh in the status update oh box Oh, my God. <laughs> I think I've almost done that once. I only found out my mistake hours later after several no. embarrassing notifications. Oh, my God. Oh That's my God. terrible. I'm just like... Um, all my updates just me saying Malcolm <laughs> Temple, Malcolm <laughs> Temple, again and again. Oh, fantastic. We love these texts. Please text in. Tell us about a time that you've posted something online and it's been misinterpreted. Text in 0409-945-945. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. So if you weren't already off politics by now, the past few weeks would probably have made you even less into it. So we've had news about leaks, leadership challenges and allegations of bullying, which have dominated headlines. And while it's hardly been a positive experience for anyone, uh, it seems that things have been notably worse for women in politics. Um, So Lucy Gachui and Julia Banks have both complained about being harassed by their fellow party members and Julie Bishop came in a distant third place in the leadership spill despite being significantly more popular than the other candidates. Um, We've actually got a grab here from Bishop who was talking in Parliament about the toxic environment in federal politics. I have seen and witnessed and experienced some appalling behaviour in Parliament. The kind of behaviour that 20 years ago when I was the managing partner of a law firm of 200 employees, I would never have accepted. Yet, in Parliament, it's the norm. 
So with such poor treatment of the current women up on the hill, what are we doing to make sure women are going into politics? Ashley Streeter-Jones is doing her bit to help out as co-founder and COO of Jassery Australia, a non-for-profit focusing on empowering women that runs programs like Girls Take Over Parliament. She was also ACT's 2018 Women Woman of the Year <laughs> for her work. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, our pleasure. Now, let's start off with the basics. How are we doing on gender representation in Parliament at the moment? Um, Look, we have a... (laughs) We could certainly be doing better. So we've actually slid backwards in terms of our global parliamentary rankings in the last few years. We currently sit about 48th in the world, which is really nothing to be too pleased with, Um, particularly because in 2010 we ranked 38th. In 2012, we ranked 42nd. So we are actually going backwards at this stage. That's that's really bad. That's, we're going <laughs> backwards. How is this happening? Yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy. So, I mean, why why is Australia doing so poorly? Why, aren't, why don't we have as many women in politics? Look, I think the last couple of weeks have, have really hit the nail on the head um, in, in actually having some of these women on the inside saying, well, this is what's going on. And... I think the last couple of weeks as well has been a very pervasive reminder that Australian parliaments don't have an HR department. Um, It really is indicative of a deeper cultural issue that we have, not only within our political system, but with the way that we view women as leaders and the way that we react as well when they are actually calling out this behaviour. And it's really hard to call out bad behaviour. So, I mean, there really needs to be a space for these women to enter politics um, and be comfortable there. And quite frankly, looking at the state of politics as it is at the moment, I can't say I'd feel particularly inspired to enter. Yeah, and that, I'm sure many other young women wouldn't either. Yeah, you, you, know, you make a great point. Now, I want to know, like, what do you think are the big consequences of not having enough women in Parliament? Well, I think the first, uh, the first one is a pretty big one, and that's that we live in a country with a representative democracy, and we need policies made by us people who get us they understand our experiences they know what we want they're there to represent us that's that's the basis of our political system so it means that we're getting legislation made by people who think we know what we want but isn't actually accurately reflecting what we want and i think a really big one uh, that speaks to the gendered nature of politics for example is the tampon tax mm. one can't help but think that if we had more women in our politics we would no longer have or may never have had the tampon tax. <laughs> also, we know that when more women are in politics, we have a higher focus on social and communal areas. So, for example, there's a higher focus on education, there's a higher focus on health, and there's actually a direct correlation as well between the number of women in the cabinet and likelihood of going to war. So, it's a pretty big and important thing. Wow. Yeah. Just that. <laughs> well. I mean, with the with the allegations of bullying and harassment that have come out these last couple of weeks, I mean, it doesn't really come as a surprise that we are going backwards and that female representation in Parliament is at a low. So what can we do to improve this? What can we do to ensure that we're encouraging women to enter politics? I think part of it's about um, having the conversation and we are having some really great conversations at the moment and some really honest conversations at the moment, and that needs to be a step one because you can't change an issue if you can't identify the issue. Um, we've had some real champions, as you just identified, coming forward and actually saying this is the issue and this isn't good enough. 
So that allows us to then think a bit more carefully about a solution we could put in place. And I do think part of this does require cultural change. Obviously, we do have quite a toxic culture at the moment, which is uh, a real shame to see, not only as a young woman myself, but as an Australian voter, it is quite disappointing to see. The other part of that... mm, Yeah. Sorry, keep going. (laughs) No, that's okay. And I was going to say the other part of that is creating opportunities. So Plan International Australia released a report last year uh, where they surveyed a number of young men and women and young women identified a lack of opportunity as the biggest barrier for them getting into politics. Wow. Gee, like, it's just, it seems like it's just going to, we're going to keep getting more and more stats, but not really know how to institutionally change this. I'd love to know, what do you do at Jassery to help? You know, how does something like Girls Take Over Parliament help with this big problem? Yeah, so the Girls Take Over Parliament program focuses on creating those opportunities. So if you think about it, you don't really, it's really difficult to know what exactly a politician does. You know, you can't really go and do work experience and practice passing legislation and and meeting with constituents um, in the same way that you could um, in other professions. So Girls Take Over Parliament focuses on um, providing young women with a skill set. So we work with MPs and staffers to put together a program to help these participants actually get the right skills that they need to go into politics. And then... The most important part is that we partner with the MPs and the MLAs and we get those participants to go and literally take over their office for the day. So that day, they are the decision maker. They're the one who makes all the speeches. They're the one who runs press conferences. They review proposed legislation. And part of that is starting the conversation. So when you see a young woman in the halls of parliament going, oh, hey, we, we don't see young women in the halls of parliament at all. Um, actually leading these offices. What are you doing here? And it starts that conversation. And the other part is showing these young women that they can do it. They, they do have the skills, they do have the knowledge, and they can absolutely be the person who sits in and runs that office. You're with Swetha Dust and Natalie Sekulovska on Backchat on FBI Radio. We've got Ashley Streeter-Jones, co-founder and COO of Jazzery Australia, chatting to us about the lack of youth and female engagement in Parliament. So Scott Morrison actually came out a few days ago saying he won't be using quotas to increase the number of women in the Liberal Party. What do you think about this? Hmm. Look, the question of quotas is a very interesting one. Um... Ultimately, what quotas do is they disrupt the status quo. And I think we've got this really negative conversation around quotas where we seem to think that if somebody's appointed to a position through a quota, we just pick the first person off the street and gone, hey, you're female, jump in. And actually overlooks the fact that when people are appointed via quotas, we're choosing from a pool of very capable individuals. We're not picking just the first person who comes to mind. But what we are doing is disrupting the current power system. And we know that we have a trend of older white men getting in, into politics who have been able to do so because they have a certain level of privilege and access and all that jazz. Not always, but a lot of the time. And what we're doing is we're creating opportunities and disrupting that. And I personally don't think that's a bad thing. We need more women in the room. Uh, We know that this has worked for the Labour Party, um, but it's also about having meaningful quotas. There's a real difference to putting a woman forward 
for pre-selection in an unsafe seat and putting a woman forward for pre-selection in a safe seat. So you also have to think very critically about how you engage with those quotas. So there's there's a couple of steps to that process and a couple more conversations that, that I think need to be had in that area. This has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You have brilliant ideas and I feel quite safe knowing that you're involved <laughs> involved <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> in Parliament and all this kind of stuff. I hope that Jassery really takes off and more people get involved. Um, do you have perhaps like a website or something where girls can go to to learn more about Jassery? Yeah, absolutely. So jassery.org.au. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and many other platforms. We're about to launch our Girls Takeover um, very shortly. So we've got our training weekend this time next weekend. So if you jump across to the socials and to the website, you can stay up to date with the program and everything that's happening. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ashley. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So that was Ash Streeter-Jones, co-founder and CEO of Jastry Australia, speaking to us about the lack of female engagement in Parliament. Back chat. Hey, did you like that sting? It was crazy. <laughs> really nice to it. <laughs> you were like miming to me and you were like trying to tell me things and I was like, I'm playing another sting. <laughs> it's cute. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, how are you feeling now? How was your week? Tell me. <laughs> how are you feeling? I'm, I'm feeling so all right. Bring us all back maybe, together. Maybe a little despondent, but I'm, I'm okay. It, it's, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It was, it, it's been fantastic speaking to Maddie and Ashley. Um, I love seeing, you know, fantastic young women going yeah, out there. Powerful women. Trying to change the world. Yep. I actually, I went to a fantastic gala last night. I went to the SSI Mosaic Gala, which is run by SSI. It's a fantastic or organization that um, helps settle refugees in Australia. And they do a lot of scholarships um, and they help um, give money to refugees to start their own small businesses. I got a candle from a small business run by a refugee and like a ginger tonic and it was just so fantastic. Um, but I did, you know, very quickly want to talk about, I guess, the rhetoric around uh, refugees being settled in Australia. I thought it was really interesting at this gala. They were kind of like, oh, um, bring refugees in because they'll start businesses and they'll, they're excellent and they're going to contribute to the Australian economy. But do you think that perhaps that discourse in a sense is a little toxic? I think it is. And I think the same kind of discourse was used when migrants, when migrants come to yeah. Australia as well. It's it's like, what can, you know, these refugees or what can these migrants, and even the rhetoric, rhetoric around ref, using refugees and migrants, it's really kind of like faceless people. Yeah. These faceless Who's people. Who's going to help us? Yeah. Like, how can they help us rather than, well, what can we do for them? And I think, you know, it's obviously, it's different when we're talking about refugees and migrants because refugees obviously need our help. Yeah. And so, we should I think the rhetoric should shift to what can we do for them what can we do to help them I guess you know make that transition to Australia much smoother for them I love that I totally agree I spoke to um uh, a woman who's doing exceptionally well in tech and she was a refugee and she was like I've always felt this immense pressure to be excellent because I feel like oh I got this amazing opportunity to come to Australia but it should just be that we bring them in because it's the right thing yeah, to do. Yeah. It, it was just really fascinating because I love like I love hearing about this fantastic work, but I'm also like the rhetoric we have around talking about women mm. in parliament and refugees and all that kind of stuff. I think that we should reconsider how we talk about certain things. And even like prominent ethnic doctors and, you know, lawyers, um, 
who have come out and who have been like, I feel this immense pressure on myself to just be this, you know, idyllic kind of picture of, you know, refugees or migrants. Otherwise, suddenly it it taints the entire group. Yeah, I'm having to speak for everyone. Uh, Yeah, women, minorities having to speak for (laughs) their entire group. We love it. Um, So we have come to the end of the show. Uh, A big thank you to our guests, Madeline Ward, Ashley Streeter-Jones, and of course to our producers, Eden Faithful and Amelia Zhao. Yes, thanks again for listening to the show. You can listen to our podcast on the FBI Radio website and iTunes. We're going to leave you with this track from Blackbala Mujik. This is Come and Dance. See you next week.